I was praying about what to share this morning, and I felt the, the phrase, um, original worship. Often God will give me just like a short phrase of two or three words. And um, yeah, those of us who are, who are in the habit of trying to hear God say specific things, those of us who believe that God speaks prophetically, um, you pay attention when you feel like God's dropped words into your spirit, and it takes faith to believe that that was actually God. It wasn't just a nice idea or some random thought. So I do believe that's what God wants me to speak about this morning. And um, the, so the words original worship, and I, I thought, okay, well, what, what, what do I do with that, that phrase? Um, and I, I Googled original to, just to, get, to clarify my thoughts. And the dictionary defines original as two, two meanings. And I, I feel like there's, there's something to be said about both of those meanings. The first is present or existing from the beginning. The second is created personally by a particular artist, and it's not a copy. There's two senses of the word original, existing from the beginning and not a copy. So, yeah, as I said, I'm a worship leader, and I spend quite a lot of my time listening to worship music and preparing sets of songs for us to worship together, too, on a Sunday morning. So this is an area that I think I have some revelation on and definitely have some thoughts on, so... Um, and I think worship really matters to God. More than it mattering to me, it really matters to God how we worship. And I, I want us to think through a little bit um, how we worship and how, the kind of worship that God seeks. I'm going to start with a question. Do you guys know that your voice is completely unique? Do you know that you can uniquely identify any one of the 8 billion people on earth by the, the, their voice? It's as unique as your fingerprints. That's because of the unique quality of your vocal cords, the length of your vocal cords, the, the cavity in your, your head, <laughs> your nasal, <laughs> nasal cavity and, and mouth cavity. It resonates in a, very, in a completely unique way. You might not think you have a great voice. You may not objectively have a great voice. But God loves your voice. And God gave you a unique voice with which to praise Him. And, um, and why God loves your voice is because He loves you. And when you sing, there's a unique sound that you, you make, that he designed, and that he has designed you to use to praise him, to return worship to him. So just think about that. Um, maybe you're not a confident singer. Maybe you um, don't think much about worship. Maybe it's just a, a thing we do at church on a, on a Sunday morning. But I want you to think of the fact that God made you to worship in a way that's not a copy, um, that's not meaninglessly reciting the words of someone else, and it's not being embarrassed of your voice. He made you to worship uniquely and from your heart. So I've got a whole bunch of scriptures which I've deluged um, Charlie with this morning. The first one is John 4, verse 21 to 24. Uh, this is the, I'll just paint the context. So this is Jesus um, with the woman at the well. It's only present in the Gospel of John. It's such a beautiful story. I'm sure most of you are familiar with it. This is, um, Jesus is traveling through Samaria and he comes across this um, Gentile woman or this Samaritan woman. They were considered like outcasts and unworthy by the Jews. And um, she is collecting water. She's going out to collect water for her herself and for probably for her animals at, in the middle of the day. Um, and 
that's a very odd time to be going to collect water. And you can actually surmise that this woman was ashamed. She was an outcast in her village. Jesus goes on to say that you've, uh, you, you've had five husbands. He says to her, go and, go and um, call your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. He says, that's right. You've had five husbands. And the man that you have now is not your husband. So in that culture, she would have been an outcast. She would have been an adulterer and someone, um, yeah, to be shamed, for, to be ashamed of herself in that culture. So she was probably out collecting water because of that shame in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day. It's not a, not a normal time to be collecting water. And Jesus finds her. And he says to her, um, he, he, he says to her that I want, I want to give you living water um, so that you will um, the water that I give you, will, when I give you the water that I give you, you will never thirst again, basically. It will bubble up in you to eternal life. That's not the part I want to focus on. I love that picture. I love that picture of the spirit that Jesus gives us being this water that bubbles up in us to eternal life. It's, and that's the spirit that comes to dwell in us when we put our faith in him. What I do want to focus on is what he says to her about true worship and the worship that God is seeking. So, from verse 21, he says, Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So he's, he's contrasting the, the religion of the day where the Jews said that you have to worship in Jerusalem. You have to go to the temple to worship. He's saying to her, this is no longer the worship that the Father seeks. The worship, the worship that the Father seeks is in spirit and in truth. And it's not on some mountain in Jerusalem. It's not in some temple system or religion that's been established. It's in spirit and in truth. And what's interesting, what first stood out to me about this passage is he says, this is the kind of worshiper that the Father seeks. Not necessarily about the worship itself, but worshipers that that the Father is seeking. It's us that he's seeking. Um, And I also want to make the point that this is, that worshiping in spirit and truth is for every believer. It's not the job of the, the worship leader or the elders or the particularly spiritual among us. This is a requirement for those of us who follow Jesus, that we worship in spirit and truth. So I don't want to come down too hard on people this morning. I'm preaching to myself too. But I think there's something that we sometimes lose in going through the motions of singing worship songs and reciting things and our hearts are a million miles away. So what does it mean to to worship in truth? It's quite easy to understand. It just means not to worship fakely, not to worship in untruth. Um, But what does that look like? And are we guilty of that sometimes? So there's this whole Christian music industry. I'm sure most of you are aware of it, like the the CCM, like Christian contemporary music thing. Um, And I listen to a lot of it in the background when I'm working. I've usually got headphones on when I'm a software developer, so I can do that all day. Um... (laughs) And that may not actually be a good thing. That's what I'm coming to. It's like, I think the more we listen to worship as like an entertainment, a source of entertainment or musical enjoyment or interest, 
the word can actually lose its meaning. Worship music is not meant as a source of entertainment. It's not like a, jo- a genre of music. But I think there's this industry that's turned it into just that. It's a genre. It's a way of selling records. It's a way to have a career as an as a artist. And those things, are, I guess, are not necessarily bad unless they start to empty the practice of worshiping of what it's intended to be, which is an offering to God. Um, and I think we, yeah, I think we can empty it, as I say, of its meaning if we just listen to it in the background or meaninglessly recite it together or enjoy the musical quality of it rather than thinking about the words that we're actually saying to God when we sing it. When I do listen to worship music, um, and what I'm listening for actually, and there are songs like this, is the heart of the worshiper actually breaking through like the sheen, the veneer of the production and the sound quality and the slickness. Sometimes you can hear... This is another beautiful thing about our voices is that God's designed it that you can actually hear our hearts. There's a quality of someone's heart that comes through their voice. <laughs> and I love that. I love that like, there's an authenticity that you can hear in some people's, or some songs, performances of a song that maybe isn't present in, in other versions. And it's nothing to do with the, the musical quality. But I think that's a clue to what God is actually looking for when we worship. He wants a heart-level meaning attached to what we're doing. He wants a heart-level engagement from us. Um, he, he wants to see our hearts expressed when we worship, not just hear frequencies that sound nice together. So Jesus has some, some harsh words um, for the Pharisees, and I think sometimes we can, we can almost become like modern-day Pharisees when we worship God with our mouths, but not with our hearts. He says in Matthew 15, verse 7 to 9, he's having an argument with the Pharisees. Um, He says, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. That's quite a scary thought. Like, is that sometimes what we do on a Sunday morning? I know even as a worship leader, I can... I can just sing through a song and not think for a moment what I'm actually singing. So I'm more concerned with like other people responding, like is what is Ross, is there a prophetic word? What is Ross going to do next? Um, and we can just go through motions and not actually be guilty of not actually believing or meaning or engaging with what we're singing to God. And I think, again, I'm not trying to condemn us, but that's a big problem. Because <laughs> that's literally worshiping God with our mouths while our hearts are far from Him. It's okay, Emma. This is coming across. So uh, when I talk about heart-level engagement, I also want to make it clear that I'm not talking about emotionalism. I'm an emotional guy. Like, I cry far too easily. (laughs) Um, And that's not necessarily spiritual at all. It's just how God made me. I'm an emotional being. Um, More than I'd like to be, honestly, sometimes. So... So, so true worship, when I'm talking about heart-level engagement and worship that's in spirit and truth, it's not about outward things. It's not about externals. I think we can also fall into the trap of, of being like, oh, goosebumps or tears or stage diving in Josh Jen. 
And we start to measure how well we're worshiping by the externals. Like, what are the people doing? And like, particularly as leaders, you look around, you're like, oh, the people responded so well. Like, people are jumping around or that person was in tears. Because <laughs> you want to know that, like, you're doing a good job. It's very human to want to, like, know that we're doing okay. But we must also be careful of falling into that. Trying to evaluate our worship, which is an offering to God. Evaluate other people's worship, which is their offering to God. It's actually only between them and God. It's not our, our job to, to weigh how well other people are worshiping. Um, so I, I'm, not, I'm cautioning against an emotionalism and a, a focus on externals and like outer conformity. You know what I mean when I say that? It's like, as long as we look like we're really passionate, we're doing well. That also is like you're potentially being a Pharisee there. You're like, I'm doing all the outward things. I stage dive three times a Sunday. I must be in love with God. I must really, you must really have my heart. Not necessarily. You might just be in a culture that thinks that that's what worship looks like. And we've made an idol of that thing. Like every time we're really worshiping, it looks like that. We march around the hall or we jump off the stage or we're all, on the, on the flip side, um, we're all weeping or whatever. But having said that, I don't want to overqualify it. When God, when you're worshiping from your heart, it does look like something. It might look like something completely individual or specific to you, but it does look like something. Um, so I don't know if you guys have experienced this. If you ever go to a wedding and there's unsaved people there or people from a, a more traditional or conservative church, um, how hard it is to just raise your hands and worship. <laughs> like, super keen to do that here on a Sunday morning, but when you're surrounded by, like, people who are, like, hostile or not keen, it's like, ah! um, so, the, so the inhibitions and the culture of the people around us has an effect on us, right? Equally, the freedom of people around us, the outward displays of affection for God do have an effect on the people around us. I remember being at a at a Josh Jen men's conference or men's meeting. And I'm personally really not a fan. Like I'm probably not supposed to say this, but I can say it while the elders are away. Like like I struggle with the like everyone's singing like a little bit lower than usual and we're only singing about like tearing down strongholds and giants and stuff. And then it always culminates in like a roar or a raising a shout or something. And, like, it's just, it just feels totally inauthentic to me. I just feel like I'm, oh, I just have to, like, pretend that I want to do this. Um, but in the, I remember being in a meeting like this, and I saw this little guy get up and get on the stage and take off, like, his, he had, like, a warm top on. He took it off, and he started, like, swirling around, like, doing this prophetic dance. And I was like, wow, that is, it really moved me. That is courage. Like, that is the furthest thing from macho or um, the, the conventional idea of what we do at a men's meeting or what manly worship looks like. But I was like, what a legend. Like, that, that moved me. So I was like, that is an offering to God. There's nothing cultural about that. That is completely spontaneous. Um, and completely, he's unconcerned about the people around him. That's the kind of worship I think that God, I want to, I aspire to. So when the culture around you is completely different, when, when the expectations of people around you are completely different, and you do something that's just, this is for you, God. 
Sorry, so that's an example of how how we can positively af affect the people around us by what we do outwardly. Um, yeah, so I think I've, I also just want to make the point that we are in need of more pigs. Um, that we as people, as human beings, we are incurably religious. We always gravitate towards an attempt to control God, to relate to him in a way that's ritualistic, that we have control over, that we know if we do this thing, then he responds this way. It's built into us. I think it's part of our fallen nature that we want to control God. Um, and we want to relate to him in this transactional way. If I do this, then you must do this. I think a lot of the heresies in the modern church are all about that. It's like, you know, the words that come out of my mouth create things, and um, God is powerless to resist when I do this. It's not true. God is God. Is God. <laughs> um, and I think we need to be careful of a religiosity in, in our culture. It's like, as I said, worship always looks like this. Uh, if we do this, then this must happen. Um, so there's something about worshiping in truth where we give up every religious or ritualistic practice, refuse those things. And it takes courage and faith to do that as a worship leader or as just a person in the congregation. It's like, I'm going to do what is authentic between me and God as an offering to him. I refuse to, to do something that's empty. That's, that's resisting religion. I refuse to do a thing that's empty, that has no meaning for me. So I, I want to encourage us, I hope I'm encouraging us, to think that way when you're in worship. I'm not saying resist what Ross's or the leaders are saying or, or feeling to do, because they're trying to do that in the spirit. They're not trying to control anyone or produce a response. But be authentic with God. Be authentic with God. And that's what worshiping in truth, that's part of worshiping in truth, resisting every religious impulse to try and control God or do what worked yesterday. That's another thing as a worship leader. It's like, oh, I remember last time I led this song. <laughs> like, really took off. And then you do it, I do it again, and without fail, it's like, it tanks. It's like, no, that's not what God's doing this morning. That is religion. So be careful of that. In your own devotions, in your own worship time. Another amazing thing about the truthfulness of our worship is how it actually affects God's heart. We've talked about how it affects the people around us, whether we're inhibited or free. Because the Holy Spirit is a person. He's a person with a mind, a will, and emotions. He's a he. He's not an it. Um, so we can actually move him. This, the amazing thing is that God has actually given us the capacity to move him, to move his heart. I'll give you some scriptures that say this. Isaiah 57, verse 15. Um, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So contrite means repentant. It means I've humbled myself before God. I recognize my sin. And we can actually cause him to, to want to be near us. He dwells with people who are contrite and lowly. So that's the attitude we come, what other attitude can we bring to God on Sunday morning? Like who of us comes in here thinking like, I've, 
um, I've had a great week. Like, God must be just magnetized by who I am in my purity and my glory. Like, that's none of us, right? Like, let's be honest. We, the only posture, actually, that attracts God is like, God, I'm a simple. Um, forgive me. Have mercy on me. I think of, of another scripture I, I haven't given us of um, when Jesus tells that parable of the Pharisee who comes in and is praying and says, um, thank you, God, that I'm not like this tax collector, this sinner. And the tax collector says, have mercy on me, God, I'm a sinner. And he says, who, who went home justified? So that humility, that awareness of our brokenness, of our fallenness, of our failure, without like beating yourself up, that is the posture that draws God's closeness, that, that attracts his presence. Um, on the, another scripture about how our truthfulness in worship attracts God, Zephaniah 3 verse 17, for the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That's a God, that's a father who's delighting in his children. So he doesn't come to crush us. He doesn't come to kick dust in our face or condemn us. He comes to rejoice over us, delight over us, exult over us with singing. What a beautiful thought that God in our worship can come and actually sing over us. So so our sincere worship, our truthful worship actually attracts God. It draws the heart of God. And what and the results is that God starts to manifest His presence to us. I think all many of us, I think most of the people in this church will know what I mean when when I talk about the manifest presence of God, like a stronger sense that God is near somehow. I'm not saying that God isn't everywhere, and you know that His love isn't steadfast, that He's gone missing or gone on a trip some some weeks, but there are some times when when we are made more aware that He is here. He's right here among us. And that's a reality that I think we need to cultivate, or an awareness we need to cultivate as Christians. What, was, what attracted him about that moment? What, um, or he's here, what is he saying to do? Do we just stop? Do we just sit in his presence? Do we just go quiet? <laughs> do we, um, what do we do? Because this, we, we claim that this is his church, right? That he's the Lord of this church, the head of the church. So do we actually practice that? When we sense that the Holy Spirit is here, do we just stop? And just await further instruction rather than like over-explain and who's got a prophetic word or let's move on. Because we, we get very impatient in worship. I know as a worship leader, it's just like, oh, this feels like I've done it too many times. I've got to move on. People must be getting bored. Um, that's a real danger as a worship leader. And I think as a, a person who's leading the meeting, to want to give words, to help people. Oh, we're losing people, we're losing people, they don't know what's going on, tell them what's happening. I think we must be careful of that too. We must actually trust God that He wants to meet people Himself. We don't have to tell them what He's doing. It actually takes more faith to just not say it and just wait on Him. This is making sense. I think this is another important part of worshiping in truth. So worshiping in the spirit, what does that mean? So we talked about worshiping in truth. 
What is worshiping in the spirit? It means that our worship when we gather is led by the Holy Spirit, as I've just said. And we need to learn to discern what he's saying and what he wants us to do. So peace is kneel when we, and, and sorry, and it also takes courage, takes faith to believe that we've heard him, takes courage to do what he said to do. So if it means stop, if he says stop, it means stop. If he says kneel, it means kneel. If it means march around the room and stage dive, then that's what we do. But we don't try and fill the gaps with what worked before or, you know, what once felt great or what we imagine he's saying. It takes faith and courage to just wait and do what God's, and be sensitive to what he's saying and do what he's saying to do. That's being led by the Spirit in our worship. In another sense, worshiping in the Spirit means worshiping from the Spirit that God has put in us. That's another beautiful mystery of the Christian life, is that actually the Holy Spirit worships and magnifies Jesus through us. I'm going to read a the passage from Romans 8, which is, to many people, it's the Mount Everest of the Bible. It's the Mount Everest of the New Covenant. It's such a beautiful chapter. It says, Roman, Romans 8, 14 to 15, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So it's the spirit in us who is worshiping, who is declaring who Jesus is and declaring who he has made us, who he has adopted us to be, that we are sons and daughters of God. And the spirit declares that through us. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. This is Romans 8, 26 to 27. We do, we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So this, I, I'm sure you've all experienced this when you, you get to a point in your life where you're like, I don't even know what to pray, but I just know I need to pray something. I don't have the words. I don't know what to pray what to say, but I just, my spirit is yearning to connect with God. It's yearning to be in His presence. It's yearning to yeah, connect with Him, to be intimate with Him. And I, I love this. There's groanings that are too deep for words. We don't know what to say, but the Spirit prays through us. The Spirit worships through us. So prayer and worship are intimately linked. And it says that the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So we don't even know what the problem is. We don't even, even know what we're supposed to be asking for sometimes. It's not just on a Sunday morning in all areas of life. <laughs> so the Spirit intercedes. He actually goes and speaks to God for us as we pray in the Spirit. And so if you're able to pray in tongues, do it. Like, do it more often in your, in your personal life. If you're not sure what to pray, just pray in tongues. I've been doing that this week. And it just... Edif that's what the word says, it edifies our spirit man. Um, and it has this beautiful benefit of just getting out of the way and allowing the Holy Spirit to magnify Jesus in this my mysterious way that we don't fully understand, but we do, it's a form of worship because we're offering ourselves to the Spirit to worship Jesus and to connect with Him. I'm doing this a lot. Is this making sense? <laughs> Another beautiful aspect of that, that passage is 
that the Holy Spirit actually declares who we are. It reassures us that we are sons and daughters of God. When we allow the Holy reassures us. When he, when he worships through us and prays and intercedes through us with groans that are too deep for words. He gives us a confidence that we can draw near, right? Because we couldn't draw near to God if he hadn't made us holy, if the gospel wasn't true. Only access to God that we have is in the blood of Jesus, by the mercy of God. Don't come to him on our merits or our right practices or having had a great week of five times. We come to him in the, in the, the blood of Jesus only, the righteousness of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We can only say, you're my Father, if the Holy Spirit is doing it through us. How could we ever believe that? Like, how could we ever believe that in our, in our own merits? Holy Spirit helps us to believe the gospel that is true. And that's our terms of worship. That's the reason we worship. That's how we worship. If the gospel wasn't true, we couldn't worship. We wouldn't be allowed in his presence. Yes, there's something beautiful about allowing the Holy Spirit to, to worship through us. Lending our mouths to him. We declare who God is and also by mercy who we are, who he's made us. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I just think that's the most beautiful thought. Yeah, if that doesn't inspire worship, then there's a problem. <laughs> That's why it's important that we sing songs that are theologically sound, that ground us in the terms of our righteousness. Like, how do we draw near to God? We've got to remind ourselves what Jesus did for us. We're not doing that if we're just, like, asking God to do stuff for us or just repeating the same meaningless line. We have to ground people in the gospel. How, 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 do we, how are we even allowed to worship? So the words that we sing are also super important, that we engage with the truth of what we're singing. So I'm trying to do that more as a worship leader, is give people theology to give them a reason to worship, remind them why we have a reason to worship, what we have to give thanks for, and the terms in which we even allowed in His presence. So I was reordering my seven pigs now. Um, this never happens to the real elders and preachers. A passage in Ephesians 5, I think I've given away the one page that told me exactly where. Um, this is another aspect of how we worship in the Spirit, is that sometimes we will sing spiritual songs, as in spontaneous songs, songs that someone else hasn't written for us. Um, so let me just read from here. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Mervis um, did a teaching for us worship leaders on psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Like what's the modern day equivalent of that? So 
hymns would be your theological songs, the ones I've just been saying we need to sing more of to give, explain to people who they're worshiping and why, how they're even allowed to worship it. Um, Psalms would be your kind of more worshiping, chorusy kind of songs. And then spiritual songs would be spontaneous songs, songs that the Holy Spirit just puts in your heart to sing, um, your own words in the moment, and singing in tongues. And yeah, I think this also, I think this needs to be part of our worship. I don't think it's like, it needs to be a balanced diet of all three. But if we're only ever reciting other people's songs, then there's a problem. There's something missing. There's no spiritual songs. And we may be in danger of being a people who recite religiously rather than engage with God and sing what we really mean. And those songs have the power to disarm, um, to knock you off guard. Because you're like, oh, I was just following the words. Of the words. Like, where are the words? What am I supposed to sing? That's good for us sometimes. Because it's like, oh, wait, am I actually worshiping God? Am I just singing what they put on the projector there? <laughs> what do I actually want to say to God? What has he actually done for me? So those are important, those spiritual songs. And it requires faith and guts to sing them when you're up front. Because <laughs> they don't always come off. Um, and yeah, you can also overdo them. They're not necessarily spiritual. Sometimes it's just like the worship leader reaching for a spiritual moment that doesn't really happen. <laughs> but yeah, just so you know, that's part of the dynamic when we're up here. But I think it is important that we jolt people out of complacency sometimes with like, hey, you don't have words. What are you going to say now? And the worship leaders, because Lord knows we need that as well. Yeah, I've said that it's important that we, we often doing challenging ourselves to do something unusual if the Holy Spirit prompts us to do it. Having the guts and the faith to just do what He says to do. So I, I know we're the kind of church that wants that sort of worship. Our leaders are desperate for that. What is our worship? Our, our, our elders want a religious church or a church going through the motions. It's the last thing they want. But sometimes that needs like rejigging. We need to rejig what we've been doing. We need to question what we've been doing. This is real. What, we do, what we're doing this morning is real. Okay, so that's that's worshiping in spirit and truth. That's some ideas on those things. Also in that passage, I just want to mention that worship is not just singing songs to God. Worship is your life during the week talks about being sober-minded, talks about not being drunk or debauched, going along with the ways of the world, pursuing the idol and empty things of the world, but offering your life to God, inviting Him into every area, making Him Lord of every area. So instead of getting drunk, being filled with the Spirit, that's something, you're not going to get drunk at church unless you like the Corinthians, apparently they were doing that. But generally, that's referring to your life at home. It's like when the elders aren't around. Are you going to get drunk? Or do you have faith to actually, faith that God wants to give you real joy? So are we resorting to like alcohol to like take the edge off? Or do we, or do we actually believe that the Holy Spirit is a holy equivalent of the joy that wine can give you? Um, and do we actually have faith to ask God for that and wait on God for that at home? Because that's going to overflow into your worship on a Sunday morning. But what I'm saying is that how we live is worship to God. And if we're not living in a way that's making God Lord of every area of our lives during the week, then the songs we sing to God on a Sunday morning mean less than nothing. Because it's actually, again, worshiping with your mouth and your heart is far from Him. Your life is far from Him. 
again, this is not to condemn anyone, but this might be a call to repent if you've fallen into the habit of finding joy in what the world finds joy in rather than the miraculous joy that the Holy Spirit gives, being filled with the Spirit. All right, so now I want to talk about the other meaning of original. I talked about original meaning not a copy, means authentic, means in spirit and truth from each individual voice that God has made with the, the words and the revelation that he's given you from a heart that is fully engaged. I've talked about that. Now I want to talk about that other meaning of original, from the beginning. From the beginning. So when we worship God, we are joining the worship of all creation. From the dawn of time, from the beginning of creation, the word says that creation, uh, Psalm 91, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Uh, yeah, I'm quite interested in apologetics. Like, I'm quite often listening to these debates with atheists and people. Now, just, I look at the night sky. I heard someone say recently, it's dangerous for an atheist to look up at the night sky, look at the stars. Because, I mean, really, can you look at that and believe that it all happened with no cause and by accident? Really? Like, does it not fill you with terror at the thought that you might be wrong? <laughs> does it not in itself declare that there must be a cause? There must be a cause. A creator and a, a marvelous being, far higher and greater than we are. Does it not cause reverence in your heart when you look up in the night sky? So creation itself declares the existence of God and the glory of God in a sense it worships Him. Um, there's a guy called Stephen Bankars, who's a who was a New Age teacher, um, who I really enjoy listening to on YouTube. I do a lot of YouTube research in the small hours. Um, I really recommend him. He's got some great insights into the New Age. He's, yes, he was a New Age teacher, and he got saved. Um, thanks for that, my lovely wife, Stephen Bankars. Yeah, so he he was this young dude who, like, um, raised in a Christian home but started getting into lucid dreaming and crystals and the whole, like, New Age gamut of things that people do in the New Age. And he started having out-of-body experiences and lucid dreaming. That's what you're trying to do is get your spirit out of your body and astral project. And apparently this stuff is real. Um, and he's, he had an encounter with a demon, what apparently was a demon, and it started to scare him. And he started to realize, flip, I'm not, not actually in control of this stuff when I get out of my body. Because uh, the New Age teaches you that you can be like God, you know, and you just realize the Christ consciousness and the, you're like God, the sort of pagan theology. But you realize, actually, I'm nothing like God, I think, when you, when you start to encounter these evil things in the spiritual realm. It's like, I'm nothing. But I have a spirit and I have an eternal soul. And there's these things going on around me. Anyway, so he, his lifestyle, he made a lot of money from the New Age. He had a New Age website. He was making $50,000 a month of revenue on the website. He bought a Porsche and this massive house. Um, but his life started to unravel, and he realized that all of this spiritual knowledge that he was sharing with people online amounted to nothing morally. He was broken. He was absolutely deceitful. He said he was a wicked person. And he started to despair of who he actually was. 
Um, and then he, he realized that his only, only option left was to, to bow the knee to Jesus, to surrender to Jesus. And I just want to read a quote from one of the YouTube versions of his testimony. So he falls on his face and he offers his life to Jesus. He says, Jesus, come and be Lord of my life. And he said, he immediately sensed the presence of Jesus. And he said, he was just broken by the fact that Jesus had decided to share a space with me when I was beyond unworthy. I could feel that he was Lord over me and he was Lord of all creation. I could feel that he was concerned for me, but that he was king over creation, that the whole universe was under his feet, that the wind was infused with his presence. And the thing that stuck out for me that made me realize that I was dealing with God was how the wind, the trees, the sounds outside, the birds, the crickets, they sounded like they were glorifying him. He was there with me and they were acknowledging that somehow, like creation recognized him. I love, there's lots of scriptures about creation pouring forth speech and declaring the glory of God, but I love present day testimonies because people have spiritual experiences. Let's not dupe ourselves. Like we're surrounded by a world that is spiritually hungry and that's reaching out for everything about Jesus and having and getting this awareness that there's a spiritual realm, that they have a soul. I just love to hear these present day testimonies of people who come to an awareness that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King, that all creation worships Him. And it confirms Scripture for me. I don't place it above Scripture, but I love that it brings into the present day what Scripture says. I just love testimonies, and, and testimonies are important. Some Scriptures on how creation worships God. Remember when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, just before He's crucified, He's coming in on a donkey, and people are laying palm branches before Him and saying, um, Hallelujah, and, and um, sorry, they were saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And I, you know, it could be a figure of speech, but I think there's a sense that all of creation cries out and declares that he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And when we worship, we are joining their speech. We are joining their worship. That original worship that has been here since the dawn of time, since creation. And there's, there's a sense that we are revealing to creation who God is when we worship. We're confirming to creation and to those around us and to the demonic realm who God is. And because of who he is, who we are. I think that's also important if you, if you read through that Romans chapter, chapter 8. As I said, it's the spirit in us that cries out, Abba, Father. So when we worship, we're declaring the truth of the gospel. Firstly, that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. That no one comes to God except through him. <laughs> and that, and because the gospel is true, that we are his adopted sons and daughters. And we're declaring that to the, to the demonic realm around us, to powers and principalities, that their end is coming, that they, they are defeated, that their end is coming. So something very powerful about declaring who God is and stepping into who we are as we declare that, reminding ourselves that we are sons and daughters by the sheer mercy and grace of God. We are sons and daughters. And making that declaration 
reminds ourselves who we are. It gives us boldness to approach God. And it speaks to the principalities and powers around us that their end is coming. Ephesians 3 also talks about how through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Start wrapping up. Um, yeah, so we're joining the worship of all creation. We are also joining eternal worship that's been happening in heaven for eternity. Um, I want to read Revelations 4, verse 1 to 11. This is something that God showed the Apostle John. I don't know if you guys know this actually, but John was had been boiled in oil when he had this revelation. He was on the island of Patmos being like recuperating because um, for his faith he'd been thrown into a vat, of, a vat of oil by one of the Roman emperors and then just as he was about to die they took him out so he was like horrifically scarred and injured and this life wouldn't have held a lot of joy for him and God chooses to speak to this man um, and give him this great revelation I want to just read it Revelations 4 verse 1 to 11 after this I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. The first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones. Seated on the throne were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne was burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second like an ox, the third with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. I don't know if you guys have read this passage and thought like, Look, how would I respond if I, if I was given this revelation? How will I respond one day when I stand before this God? It's like uniformly in Scripture, when people see this, they fall down on their faces as though dead. Do we understand that that's who we're worshiping? Do we understand that He is holy, holy, holy? That means completely different to you. <laughs> completely other than, completely set apart that he existed for all eternity. And there's these, these terrifying creatures. Angels are not like cherubs, like in Renaissance paintings. Like these cherubim are terrifying. They're like melting this guy's brain. He's trying to describe what they are. With six wings, these creatures hovering around the throne of God, 
declaring day and night, and they never stop. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Doesn't that like, fill you with awe? <laughs> Doesn't it also make you wonder, like, why, how do they keep that up for all eternity? I, I, I don't actually think that. When I, when I try and put that in my mind's eye, I think, like, I feel like they are compelled. They actually can't help themselves. It's not like they've been given an instruction to say, like, keep saying holy, holy, holy forever, because that's how I made you. I think it's, like, bubbling out of them. I think it's bursting out of them. They, they don't know what else to say because they are so broken by the glory of God. And I think, like, that's there's something of that that's available to us in the Spirit, to see something of who God is when we worship. Worship's made to be a holy encounter with a holy God. It's not made to be sing songs on a Sunday morning, reciting someone else's words where where your mind's on your finances or some other thing. So repent if that's what you've been doing, and I repent with you. We we cannot go through the motions. God is not seeking worshipers like that. God deserves and will get His glory. He will get real worship from His people. Where I'd like to leave it. Um, yeah, I've got another testimony, but I, I feel like that's going to be too much. Um, yeah, so I feel like God is calling us very clearly, not just us, but all Christians, to worship Him in spirit and truth. He's seeking worshipers like that. He doesn't want people who are faking it. He doesn't want people who are going through the motions or trying to control Him or do what did what worked yesterday or do their best guess at what's going to work this morning. So if, if, if that's you if, and that, that's me, let's repent this morning. We're going to go into a time of worship. And don't look around at the people. I'm not going to be looking at how people respond between you and God. But ask God if you've been lacking that revelation. Like, who are you, God? Do I, do I, am I in awe of you? Am I in reverence of you? Am I actually terrified but grateful that I have access into your presence? Um, then, then give me that revelation. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to go into worship. Is that cool? Father God, thank you that you are infinitely worthy of our worship. Thank you, God, that one day when we see you, worship will burst out of us. Like we can't hold it back. We can't help ourselves but worship you. Because of your ultimate worth, God. And you're not just holy, Lord God, but you are loving. And you're forgiving. And you're merciful. And you give us purity. You make us able to stand in your presence. You deserve all of our worship, Lord God. And we desire in our heart of hearts to give you true worship. Worship that's in spirit and truth, Lord God. We want to be worshipers like those you seek. So I just ask this morning, Lord, as Conan and the team lead us in worship, Lord God, that our response would be for you. If you've spoken to our hearts this morning, that our response would be, to you, not for culture's sake, not to impress people around us, we forget the people around us and give you an offering that you're worthy of, in Jesus' name.